everybody, welcome to Generally Correct, Season 1, Episode 8. I am Curtis, I'm joined by my co-host, Warg, as per usual. Hey, how you doing, everyone? And today we are joined by special guest, uh, Giovanni Palacios, is that how you pronounce it? That's correct. Okay, do you want to tell the audience like a little bit about yourself, who you are, or what you do? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I just started a, uh, a kind of YouTube channel. And I kind of hit a very unique, um, a very unique subculture, I would say, where it's 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 very much similar to outrage culture, but it's very depoliticized. And I think that's a very important point that it has to be depoliticized. So it's pretty much a freakout culture, uh, you know, these things that you see out in the stores and like cashier, um, in like traffic and all that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we've been seeing a lot of that when it comes to, you know, this coronavirus with people fighting over toilet paper. And it just seems so, you know, trivial that people, adults actually begin to fight about, you know, toilet paper and things like that. Um, So, yeah, I'm taking a kind of ethnographic approach to these kind of things uh, because I think it helps to, to look at what's going on with us. Um, by investigating why it's becoming such a big deal um, these days, why people are sharing them, especially over TikTok. That's what I've noticed, that people kind of like to share these kind of videos. And it's very unpleasant, but at the same time, it's very hilarious to watch. Um, <laughs> sure is. <laughs> so you've yeah. been, um, if, if, you don't, if I don't mind, uh, you've been using a thing called schizoanalysis to look at some of these um, what is schizoanalysis for those who aren't familiar with the term? For the uninitiated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've come across this uh, very um, very unique culture where uh, they come across this thinker and philosopher called Gilles Deleuze um, and also his partner uh, Felix Guattari. They, made a, they wrote a book called Anti-Oedipus. Um, and so I kind of got into the whole... Um, the called based based pilled world, um, where they use kind of this approach called schizoanalysis, um, in which it's a very uh, rhizomatic approach. So it's it's not something where you can start at a beginning somewhere. You kind of have to start at the middle. And what schizoanalysis is it, is it takes the kind of schizophrenic. Um, the kind of schizophrenic mentality and sort of puts it on a almost almost a psychology psychological evaluation, if you will. Um, and so it, it kind of has a lot of things to it, uh, but I kind of want to explain it as I go throughout my story because I think that's a, a more useful way of sort of approaching this topic. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, so when you when you do your um, TikTok freak out videos when you're looking for like materials they're like a certain process where you like work out all oh, this would be good to talk about or is there like a certain like process for like evaluating like which um types of videos to cover or like, yeah first of or all you just find, or you just find the craziest ones <laughs> you just, find, mean, just, just find the most the most mad motherfuckers just losing their shit oh yeah i mean i have a, a stash of of videos in my phone because they're very easy to find. They're fucking everywhere. I mean, it's it's become this kind of crazy paranoia, I think, um, 
and and they're they're pretty much everywhere and so that's why i kind of settled on on evaluating these videos because i'll never run out of um i'll never run out of videos i'll never run out of things to say it's a sustainable Um, practice yeah yeah yeah. i think i think tiktok makes it a lot more accessible right because these people have always been there you know they've always we've always had fucking mad people but i think the availability of a whole bunch of services now just make it so easy for someone to just pull their phone out and boom they got them you know i think since the dawn of like internet video sharing we've had public freakouts you know it's just something that's just happened but i think tiktok has been this um because i think when tiktok first started it was almost the first um reaction of everyone to start vilifying um people they deemed socially incapable right that's that's sort of how the uh how it got its start people there was a whole bunch of people who flock for musically with their um you know, lacking social skills and people immediately jumped on that, I reckon. So it's definitely created a unique environment where uh, vilification of fucking wackos runs quite rampant. Yeah, and I, I think that is exactly why it's very, it's so cringy. Um, mm. it, you know, it's just so cringy, cringy to watch. Um, but I mean, that's, that's partly the reason why I kind of like it. Um, it has created a, a whole bunch of um, subgroups and subgroups to those subgroups and um, it's a very unique place where different kinds of subgroups sort of intermix with each other um, you know I've seen like like these um, like I don't know like black culture mixed with like shitty indie rock music or whatever and yeah. it's a place you don't see anywhere else so um, can you run us through like an example of what a schizoanalysis of a TikTok video would look like? Like if, if you lay out like a stereotypical kind of TikTok freakout video, how, how would you go about applying schizoanalysis to that, let's say? Yeah, so it starts with the insult. And the insult is what I really want to put the main focus on because it's, this, it's the core of it. Um, and at the very most basic transaction would be that kind of, um, you know, that, that kind of like resentment that, one's, that one feels. And I have to put, you know, because I, I kind of wrote a book on this, a, a book on like insulting and wanting to get revenge. And you really have to emphasize how important it is, how, how we describe these scenarios. Because if I go about it with language that we talk, it just makes it seem that you're just focusing on the most trivial things. And you see people fight about very right. small things yeah. that can easily it's like an, be It's an animal response, you know, like yeah. a, an immediate, immediate defense. It's, it's, almost, it's almost the equivalent of a, like, you know, a caveman hurling a rock. You know, it's this, it's this immediate reaction of, you know, oh, fuck, I've been... Um, I've been insulted or I've been put in a scenario I don't like, I need to get out of it, and I need to... Because in, in the, a lot of these people's minds, they think they're retaining their dignity by doing this. Yeah, it's very primal. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the kind of thing. So we use words like, um, like, I don't know, revenge or dignity. You want to retain their dignity and things like that. Mm. Um, 
but I, I wanted to look at it in a very different way. And so I sort of invented new terms in order for me to describe it. So I right. use terms like desirous revenge, for example. Um, mm. Desirous, not desiring, because desiring implies that a person wants to kind of commit to a kind of revenge. And so that's why I say an insult never, it never ends once the encounter is over. You almost always take it home with you. And I you know mm. I've had sort of, TikTok videos where they're kind of playing out, <laughs> you know, they, they've just been insulted, right? And then they come home and they, they record themselves like talking about it, right? And that, that is the main purpose of why insulting in the 21st century is so, you know, this distasteful because it is that bringing it back with you that the person um, who wins wants that to happen. And so, yeah, would, insulting um, all sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. But would you, do, do you think that um, the sort of the public confrontation or the insult is uh, sort of a modern equivalent of more classical sort of violence? As, has it, because we've become a much more peaceful society in the whole, has that replaced our animal uh, nature for? you know, physical confrontation. Well, not, not even just the animal, like, 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 so you're saying it's kind of like a replacement, like when people had like jewels and they did like pistols at dawn and stuff like that. Yeah. Something like that. Anything, anything that has just replaced, um, normal acts of violence. I mean, not normal, but you know what I mean? Like the, the, the classical, um, I suppose almost like a, you know, like a, a challenge. That's that's what we do now. Instead of fighting each other and scrapping and scraping for the eyes, we insult each other. Yeah, and it's, if you look at old movies, like let's say westerns, or like even like old Martin Scorsese movies, like you would see these people being in physical, insult, like physical assaults, but like yeah, yeah physical, at the end of it, yeah. you know, they were all just hug it out. You know, nobody. Nobody was cancelled. Nobody like yeah. yeah because they, the, the they key work. difference between um, physical violence and um, sort of, I guess, uh, an intellectual, well, not intellectual, but an emotional uh, exchange is uh, a physical exchange is a tension release, isn't it? You get out all your innate, you know, your your adrenaline gets up. You get out all that aggression in like a single moment, and then it's it's settled, right? But as you said, yeah, people take these insults home with them. Yeah, exactly, and 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 that's the point. Um, because, yeah, if if you think about like us as a primal, you know, pre-human people, um, mm. even if uh, when we were in the food chain, like uh, violence was either binary, you either died or you survived, right? Mm. And now that we live here in the twenty-first century. Um, it's not like that anymore. Um, and so I think, yeah, there's a kind of spilling out. Um, something always kind of spills out when we try to contain things. Um, and yeah, it's becoming much more evident right now of, of kind of what it means to like insult someone, insult in a symbolic sense, right? Because I think the soul, you know, I talk a lot about the soul. Back then, the soul wasn't 
you know, really a thing before we were humans or like, um, you know, back oh, then. When we yeah, pre- our understanding of the soul was not, yeah, to the point where, um, yeah, yeah, before, yeah, before our understanding it, um, you could say it didn't really exist, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no, you mean. Yeah, and now that that soul, the soul that we you know have right now, it kind of takes on the the responsibility of this violence and sort of turns it into a new symbolic realm. And now we insult in a symbolic sense. Um, and yeah, so I, I kind of play around with this kind of this kind of thing with the symbolic inner self. You know, I, um, there's a really great book called The Denial of Death, and the author talks about the inner symbolic self. Uh, which is, I think, a much better way of saying the soul. It, it's that people are insulting their kind of symbolic immortality, right? So people right. want to be immortal, immortalized, and their work becomes what they are, right? And so yeah. when you insult their ideology or you insult you know, their religion or whatever, it becomes very personal, and it feels like life and death. Yeah, and to some in some cases worse because if they take a great shame onto themselves um, they think that that shame is going to be eternal even after their physical death you know it's it's gonna um, it's gonna stick around yeah and and they want that thing to be eternal and so this is how I kind of connected with capitalism and all that because if you really think about it, when you insult someone, you kind of split them into two. So you split them into, you know, the person that they actually are, the person you insulted, and then you split, and then the other is the the person that resides in your mind, rent-free, right? Mm. And by merely thinking about the encounter that you've had, you've kind of putting putting them into this internal hell. And you're assuming you've won the encounter, right? The, you know, you're just thinking about them. And so capitalism kind of bridges the two, and so that you want to you want a congruency, you you want to you, you kind of want to torture them in your mind. But how are you supposed to know that that reflects the the, the real person, right? And they're yeah. doing the same thing to you. This way of talking about it, the schizoanalyzing, deals a lot with how it connects to the to current society, how it connects to kind of the libidinal economy, you know how how people want to compare themselves to one another based on their incomes or their cars or whatever. Yeah. If I can uh, quickly ask a question, in regards to schizoanalysis, is it a very controversial method or is it like well accepted among um, experts? Or is there there like a divide? Um, I think it works well precisely because it's it's divided. Um, So I say it's very rhizomatic and so um, if, I'm not sure if you're familiar what a rhizome is. Um, a no, rhizome is a kind of root, and it, it doesn't have a centralized point where it grows. It kind of grows wherever it wants. It bulges out or, or whatever. You can't really find a center of mass, if you know what I mean. Mm. So it, it's kind of imminent. It, it, it emerges as it goes at the same time. Um, and so I think that's why schizoanalysis is pretty successful in the terms, in the way that it, it doesn't have a quite a, a, a starting point. You always end up, end up in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So rhizome, like a, 
like RNA, right? Very similar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's uh, switch tracks for a bit, um, and let's talk about like um, um, how you how did you discover like schizoanalysis? I know we briefly touched over um, uh, through finding uh, Deleuze, but like how how did that process come about? How did you get to the point where you decided this is something you wanted to talk about, or just that you you know even wanted to like make videos and write and all that? Well, I I really was trying to find a solution to my own problems. Um, and so it was really a project about me because, you know, I've always had difficulty like um, starting a conversation or um, I, I think it's because I talk in this kind of disconnected, disjointed way mm. that when I started to, to learn about schizoanalysis and this kind of thing, it was, it was very similar. It's very disjointed, very disconnected. Um, it doesn't make sense if you try to approach it from a starting point, right? And so that's what really appealed to me. Um, I think it was a it was a wisecrack video. I'm not sure if you're familiar with wisecrack. It's a very good good um, YouTube channel where they sort of was talking about the fascism inside all of us and how um, with schizoanalysis. Schizoanalysis follows a philosophical tradition where you start from a beginning, like, you know, with Plato, and it goes to Aristotle, Kant, and whatever, and then you end up here where we are right now. And psychoanalysis is right in the middle. And what psychoanalysis does is that this system sort of accounts for this kind of um, analysis that many psychoanalysis wants to put us in. You know the triangulation of the the father, mother, and the the, the child, and so schizoanalysis presents a um, a sort of escape from that. It doesn't follow the tr philosophical tradition in that it doesn't have the kind of language of progression. You know what I mean? Mm. Kind of language where we all want to be in the same terms of history, because we think of history of progression of it leading somewhere. And that's why we want to be this kind of perfect, progressive kind of person. And, and yeah, I, I pretty much didn't fit in with this kind of um, progressive nature that everyone wants to be in. And so that's why I kind of stumbled upon this um, Gilles Deleuze character and I started reading about him. I started buying the books and I started listening to a lot of podcasts and, and all that. And that's why I started writing my book about it. And I think I kind of hit a sweet spot, at least for me, um, on how I can, you know, go about this with my work. And is the, is the book the, um, is that the modus operandi one that I've seen you? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so I guess I'll, I'll start with the title. I picked the title because um, in the book, I talk about uh, this concept of the coward and a coward is a kind of criminal. And so the rationalization of how a criminal goes about their, uh, their crimes is called the modus operandi. It's how they justify their crimes. And so 
a criminal is a coward in the sense that they take advantage of somebody that can't defend for themselves or, or they take something that doesn't belong to them. You know, they take advantage of the system. Mm. And so I, I want to distinguish the coward with the profound coward. So a profound coward is another term I kind of made up is somebody that falls in line or aligns himself in favor with the will to power or the will to will, depending on how you uh, interpret it. And so with insulting, I think that when somebody insults someone else, it's because there was already, um, there's always a winner and a loser chosen, right? Um, But it's, it's where you position yourself as that you because you align yourself in favor with like the will to power or with the universe or with you know fate or destiny um if you will hmm. um and yeah that's why i kind of and the subtitle is the um, capitalism and the um the materialized soul i kind of stole that from um capitalism and schizophrenia which is the title of anti-oedipus uh because you can't really talk about capitalism without bringing up the soul uh, because capitalism is all about comparing comparing businesses with other businesses so that they can um, so, so that they can price their services and products with the market and so the soul also has a common currency the soul also has like a, a, a gold standard that they need to compare themselves with in order for them to um, to be worthy of being alive. And this is more of the Nietzsche realm. I don't know if you want to get into that. We can get into anything, man. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we invited you on. Okay. Yeah. So um, a, a lot of my book took inspiration from On the Genealogy of Morals, which is, I think, Nietzsche's best work by far. Um, and he talks about how civilization um, arised or was created when trade, you know, when trade happens. Because with trade, now you have an ability for people to compare themselves with one another and see where they stand um, in in terms of worthiness to be alive. And Mm. so what happens is that the soul or the inner symbolic self, it created a bulwark where they can compare themselves with, you know, where, with where they, they stand. Um, and this is kind of the beginning of, you know, the soul creating a, a, new, a, a new surface where instead of the archaic violence that primitive animals would engage in, you know, very binary, now we have a, a, a subterranean battleground where souls can compete, but this time with symbols. This time you develop um, what what I think uh, Lacan called it, the analytical eye, where you have to pay close attention to to people's faces, their mannerisms, you know, a twitch in the eye, a, uh, you know, the flaring of the cheeks, anything that would indicate Mm. a kind of response, right? Oh, man, you've, you've fucked me up now. Next time, next time I'm at the grocery store or someone calls me a cunt, I'm going to be like, oh, soul battle time, boys. 
You ascend the Shadow Realm. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys ever worked in um, in retail before? Yeah, I I'm, um, I'm working in retail. Well, right. Well, I I say right now. Obviously, not right at the moment, but um, yeah, I do work right. in retail. Um, I don't know if that's going to get uh, like shut down because of Corona soon, but um, I haven't really had any like um, bad experiences with customers insulting me, so I I can't really yeah. say that I've had any problems with this kind of stuff. I mean, my job is a pseudo. Um pseudo like uh, customer relations job because standing out in pool deck people see me as an authority figure so they immediately think that uh problems are mine but oh yeah i get this all the time you get people just coming up to you the shower is cold so they think it's the lifeguard's problem but in all honesty and reality they're not saying it to me because they want a problem fix they're saying it because they're angry and they want attention release by you know, yelling at someone who vaguely has um, authority. Uh, authority, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had retail jobs before in the past, and you know, I I, I don't I didn't really get a lot of insults to be to be honest. I had sometimes, um, but I get kind of worried about you know this new generation. They're coming up with. You know, they're being brought up with this technology and, and all they see is, you know, Karen's, you know, yelling at, you know, the Starbucks person or whatever. And yeah, you know, I know there's a lot of a lot of children are being brought up with uh, with the iPads and yeah. they've got this really, really um, intense screen addiction to them. You know, like these these kids fucking lose it if they're not on their iPads constantly. Right, so they've been immediately given like a technological comfort, and when that's taken away from them, you know they they don't like it. Normally, you'd have to wait till uh, a, a time when your brain is potentially more mature to be handed with a like a basically like a fucking stimulation box, right? And as a, when a child is that young. It's, it's hard for them to even understand that it's an addiction or it's not something that's real. Yeah, and uh, there's not just that, because that is a very important issue, but there's also what um uh, Jonathan Hyde has been uh, noting, which is that kids aren't being taught... No relation to Sam Hyde? No, no, no. <laughs> that's a, it's a different Hyde. It's a H-A-I-D-T. Um, right. But yeah, I know I, he came to town, I saw him speak, and he was... He was talking about anti-fragility, which is like when you teach kids to be resilient. And he said that mm-hmm. a lot of times, especially in like, uh, you know, elite uh, liberal colleges in America, that a lot of kids are being coddled and they're not teaching them resilience, you know, with all the um, stuff like safe spaces and trigger warnings and whatnot. So you have technological addiction and you have kids not being taught how to stand up to like any kind of challenges or pressure. If you have these two colliding... That's going to be a big mess. So that's going to—I, I'm kind of worried about how that's going to turn out in another couple of decades. Oh yeah. Oh, it's going to be—it's going to be funny at the very least. It's going to be funny but I mean, tragic. We were kind of born, yeah, we were kind of born like in the middle of it. Um, at least for for me, I was born in '93, and so we didn't have the the smartphones. I think it was by the time I, I got to like 
middle school or high school, we got the high, um, the iPhone, and look how we turned out. You know, we were kind of like in the in the transitional phase, and so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with with the new generation coming up. Yeah, no, I hundred percent get you. And um, going back to the um, book project. Uh, what is like? What is your writing process? How do you how do you approach writing? Is there like a specific, like um, schedule you have for it, or do you just go in and start writing? Like, how do you how do you write essentially? What's the method? Yeah, because these these would be good tips for Curtis as well, because he's he's trying to break into that market. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, it's it's really just focusing on one, just one major thing, and just writing it over and over and over again. Um, you know, I started this, in fact, you know, I can, I can go back and kind of, kind of tell you how I started it. Um, I was born and raised a Mormon, um, and I served right. a Mormon mission in, in Brazil. And it was during that time where, where this, this concept sort of really originated from me because, um, I, I, I don't really believe in a God. Um, I, I lost like faith a long time ago. But despite all that, I still wanted to go serve a mission, especially because it was in Brazil. And because I didn't really believe in, in, in the things that I was kind of preaching, I could kind of see, see things a little bit differently. And um, I began to write a lot during that time because I kind of fell into like a major depression. Um, uh. And so, you know, these, these people who um, they're brought to them in American religion. Um, they, they tell them how to, um, how to go about baptizing people. And so you would, you know, if you ever meet Mormons, they're very friendly um, to the point that, you know, you- yeah, It's eat. almost suspect. Yeah. Yeah. But it's very, I don't know. Uh, I, I got kind of uncomfortable because you know, in Brazil, a majority of them are Catholics, and Catholicism isn't just a religion. It's a way of life. Mm. It's it's their entire tradition. It's their entire culture. And to tell them to their face, you know, that you're kind of, you're living a lie. It's not yeah, real. Sorry, mate. Jesus was born in America. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and not only that, but being really good friends with these people, there comes a time where... Um, and you know they train you how to do this. It's it's a very precise moment where you ask them or you invite them to be baptized, and you can see in their face that precise moment when they either believe it or they don't. And if they believe it, then you know their whole lives they've been living a lie. And so it's very, I don't know. That's why I kind of left. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't it's, 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 it's cruel. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it was during that time I just started writing about that thing itself, um, that confrontation. And I just wrote it in a million different ways. I wrote it, and I, I can't tell you how many times I wrote the same thing over and over and over again, um, just in different variations. And that's how, that's how I got to, you know, that's pretty much my writing process. Right. Um, you write the same thing over again. And other things kind of spill out at the um, in the side. And uh, and aside from your book, you also do writing at um, Rhythm Theory 
com, which is like a WordPress kind of thing. Yeah, it's a little like a, it's a blog site where I just write my thoughts so in it. What, what um, kind of things do you publish on there? Uh, so I began my my blog first before I wrote my book, um, and I wrote you know in my blogs these kind of concepts, these disconnected concepts, and um, about you know the soul, about like uh, you know insulting. Um, the modus operandi, all my major topics that you'll find in my book. And that's how my book actually got written because I kind of collected all of these different topics in, in my blog, Rhizome Theory. And then I kind of pub, you know, um, kind of wrote it out in, in a sequential order the way I wanted to, to write it in a book. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my blog. Uh, I wanted to turn it into a, uh, also like um like a schizoanalytic course where I can teach people about these concepts and kind of help them out the way it sort of helped me out. So is that gonna be I'm something glad. that's coming in the future or Yeah, yeah. I would um put in a uh, a schedule, like a scheduling if people want to schedule like a course or a class or something. And then yeah, but I'm I'm sort of working out the logistics of it. Right. Mm. Well, I'm glad we can help get the message out then. Yeah. Um, Definitely. So uh, just for like a quick example of your work, um, can you run us through your most uh, recent piece on Rhythm Theory, which is the uh, on debates? Would you be, could you run us through like that? Just like a quick rundown of like what, what kind of things you can find on your site? Yeah. Um, so yeah, on debates, it was a, a short piece I wrote because... Um, I saw a debate between Stefan Molyneux and uh, one of the Zero Books guys. Um, and I found it interesting how it, it almost seems as if uh, Stefan Molyneux kind of had the upper hand already, if you know what I mean. Um, but my main, my main thesis in writing that blog post was that um, it's not about the content itself. It's not about the debating itself. And this is where I think a lot of sort of leftist academics, they kind of miss the mark a little bit. Because I always talk about how it's getting up, it's how you got up to that point where you got to debate this guy. And so this is why I don't really like debates at all, because it sort of misses the mark. I'm all, I'm all about you know the, the process as a whole, how you got to the place where you got. Um, if that makes sense to you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A very non-linear sort of view of it all. Mm. Yeah, which makes it kind of difficult for people who have been brought up in like the traditional schools. Um, and you know, everyone, everyone sort of speaks the same language and try to teach, uh, teach an entire uh, group of people a different kind of language Mm. non-linear language, a non-progressive language. That's kind of the challenge. Yeah, and I mean, I imagine that'd be kind of um, hard in like the modern social media era where everything just happens like lightning fast. You're always getting a constant flow of information. There's there's no time to properly like process and chart out the uh, just everything about it. So I imagine that would be another roadblock as well to kind of developing a fully formed picture. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see that technology as a sort of tool, um, a tool that can help me out with uh, connecting to a lot of people, um, which is kind of my next project that I want to work on is this um, difficulty with connecting, like making friends in the modern era is almost painful. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't think I've made a single friend since I got out of school. It's just, it's it's very different when you're not in a physical place with someone constantly because you're under government order. Um, it's very, very hard. So what, what do you think the, um, as technology continues to progress and evolve and like at an ex rapidly accelerating rate, what do you think the... I mean, if you're willing to make a prediction, what do you think the impacts of that are going to be on the coming generations? Yeah, yeah it's very interesting because, um, yeah, the way I, I go about explaining these, these things, is it's not the kind of linear progressive kind of thing. It's, it's very, um, actually, it's very circular. So I'll, I talk a lot about the novelty or the, like, the novelty of the universe sort of we humans carry a kind of novelty, right? And once we lose this novelty, it, it, it doesn't come back. So when we create sort of AI and technology that will, um, you know, that will... It'll be a million times more efficient, yeah. Yeah, we will lose that kind of novelty. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I describe it. Right, and um, like just I don't I don't know if like um, like you're gonna you would really willing to make a prediction. How how long until like we kind of how long do you think until we kind of perfect or you know get this AI and technology up to the point where we lose our novelty? Do you think it'll be before the end of the century or what do you think? <laughs> I, I kind of have a hunch that we've already sort of passed that point of no return. Um, but there is, there is no real, real way of, of knowing. Maybe with this coronavirus thing, maybe that's, that could be a step back um, to like, you know, give us sort of a wake up call and realize right. that, you know, we've been relying too much on, on uh, technology and, and other nations to do our work for us. And so now maybe we, we have to be more self-reliant. Yeah. Would you say that, um, like, what would be a strategy you think for possibly, like, um, if if we could rolling back the kind of overbearing influence that technology has on modern life, do you think there's a way to do that effectively or is it too far gone? Uh, well, um, like Heidegger, Heidegger talks a lot, a lot about this concept of techniques um, where it's not the technology itself, it's sort of the essence of technology um, and how technology sort of co-evolved with us as we evolved ourselves. Uh, many would go far as far as saying that we've become this species precisely because of the technology that we are ourselves created. And so... A codependency um, sort of thing going on. Yeah, yeah. And... You know, if you if you've read like Marshall McLuhan, and and his kind of thesis is that technology is sort of an extension of our senses. So like, 
like the wheel is an extension of our legs or and the um like the car or whatever is an extension of the foot and he goes to say like digital technology is sort of an extension of consciousness um in a way that we can connect with everyone else also sort of putting things in the cyber into cyberspace and as long as we have a um a sort of dominion over that kind of that kind of way of approaching technology we can uh still sort of uh keep our wits with us yeah um well going going back to tiktok um why specifically tiktok why specifically the freak outs on tiktok like i'm sure there's been there's you know there's plenty of other freak outs you could have looked at but why specifically tiktok yeah and you know there's a subreddit called public freakouts um but i think tiktok is is kind of it's kind of cool but scary at the same time mm-hmm. and i kind of worry a little bit on how how it's going because um tiktok not only has this dominion over um you know you have a supply and then you have demand right so we've already dominated supply like everywhere and sort of tiktok um reveals how you can automate um demand which is kind of scary right because yeah. if you automate demand um you know you don't really have free will and so exactly. if you yeah. see if you see how tiktok you know operates their algorithms it's all about copying the same you know whatever little dance move over and over again and if the algorithm sort of catches on that you know that tiktok video is going to become automated and so all you need to do is just you know go in with what everyone else is doing um and i think we've approached a point where we're reaching a sort of collective epilepsy where um with the whole public freakout thing it's it's not about the 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 freak out itself it's if you can get it on camera and have everyone else sort of experience this emotion at the same time you know in their homes and yeah. it's it, yeah it's kind of funny how the insult is meant for you to experience it at home but with technology that has become much more evident you can experience it literally with your phone just watching um so yeah and it's kind of it's kind of interesting yeah. you think about it that way absolutely and um what are your thoughts and feelings on um this this evolution of the um the e-girl and the e-boy and these people on tiktok who are solely there to satisfy their own sort of narcissism do you think uh this technology is do, these, do you think these people have always been around or do you think um this the unique technological time we're in has created these people yeah i've i've heard i've heard it described as a kind of you know virtual striptease um and it and it has always been around but this time it it's it has become um a place where younger people can sort of experience this virtual striptease which uh can become you know quite worrisome um and it's it's not just tiktok itself i mean if you look at 
for example, like celebrity or people want to become celebrities, they're becoming younger and younger if you pay attention. You know, these 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, they're, they're like exploding um, and they're experiencing the same fandom as would, like, let's say, like Frank Sinatra would have in the 1940s. Back then, that, that yeah. wouldn't be possible unless you were like, I don't know, 40 or 50 years old. But now, like, these TikTokers lie. It's, you, you can tell that they're pretty much underage, which has become scary. Um, yeah. And how they, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think but, that, um, if I could quickly butt in for a second, I think that there yeah. there is definitely, I think, an increase in, like, I, this has been well documented that there is an increase in narcissism among, like, younger generations. So I think that that increasing rate of narcissism, like, from, like, millennials to Gen Z, you see a increase in levels of narcissism, on average, obviously. Um, so I think that that probably does have something to play into it as well but i, I still think definitely mm, and it's it's the whole it's very interesting thing. when you um if you browse tiktok um because i used to be with someone who would browse tiktok often and i'd i'd watch what they were looking at and a lot of these things i found were just um these young seemingly well-off like um people who would just you know the video would be them putting on makeup and it would just be like their eye and it was them putting on an expensive brand or it was them holding the the product and just showing that they had the product you know it's not like at least with with um, when people flex their clothes you can at least make the argument that Sure, it's it's narcissism, but they're also doing it because, you know, they look good in the clothes. Yeah, they got the but drip. This is just this is just yeah, yeah, right. They got the drip. This is just something completely yeah, something completely yeah. different. It was just people showing a product, and it never understood. I never understood why. And the person who I, who was watching the TikToks, they were thoroughly enjoying it. And I could not wrap my head around the concept why you'd enjoy someone showing a product. It was it's like it was like this meta advertising. It was like this another layer. I I, I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around it. Well, now you know. What was it like a, a makeup brand? Yeah, yeah. It was like I I don't remember exactly what the video was, but it was probably some girl and she was holding. Uh, a makeup brand and the lighting was nice and there was some popular TikTok song on like yeah i don't know and, I, and it, it it didn't seem like it was a paid promotion it was just her sort of showing her excitement of owning the product and it was and to share her excitement and for other people to watch the video and take on that excitement it's just it's very it's a very interesting state of affairs or a state of mind that collectively we need to be in for that to be a for, for, you know for that event to take place yeah that's a that's a, you know that's automating demand 
you know, you want to make people yeah, exactly. want the same things that everyone want, you know, that everyone wants. Yeah. Um, uh, you talk a lot about, um, like capitalism in your work. What do you, what do you think the, um, cause a lot of people say that it's easier to imagine the world ending than capitalism ending. Do you think that capitalism does have an end at some point or do you think it's going to keep going? No, it's, it's more terrifying than that. Capitalism, it, it always approaches an end, but it, it sort of never ends. Um, and that's why I kind of compare this to like um, the Christian, the Christian concept of, of ending. Um, and so you kind of have to place capitalism in its history. So um, the history follows like the philosophical tradition again. And many people, many philosophers argue that Hegel, um, the philosopher Hegel, was this end or he started the conversation of an end of history where mm. um, history kind of ends at a negation of a negation you know that's that's where it ends and this is where you know i i kind of came up with this idea of desirous revenge because desire already comes negated um when an adult like um you know i say we participate in flows of growth Everyone wants to grow up to some some sort of end, right? But mm. um, when it does when a, when an adult wants to like obtain revenge or vengeance, he is meant to repress that that kind of desire, and so he already negates a, a negation, right? And so capitalism sort of works on this kind of wanting to compare yourselves. You know, keeping up with the Joneses, but at the same time, they have to sort of uh, repress it. And so, um, I, I sort of go about capitalism with two general problems. And so, the first general problem is a problem of religion. Um, and and I got this concept from the, reading the Denial of Death, where it goes on to say that relationships are a religious problem. It's relationships are not a communication problem. And capitalism, likewise, is is not really an economic problem. Um, it's it's a kind of spiritual problem, where um, the problem is, I frame it in a Catholic sense, where hate sort of drives this motivation. It's all about how many haters you can collect, so that you can mm. prove them wrong. And then the solution imposed on us is very Christian, in the sense that. Um, Christian is universal. It's it's grace. It's about forgiveness. Um, but if you see, this is becoming less appropriate because capitalism is all about um, obligating lenders, no, obligating bor borrowers to pay back their lenders. And in this sort of roundabout way, we pay back our debts in a very Catholic sense, right? So one at a time. In, 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 in detail, you know, if you think about confession or penance and um, with, with interest, right? But yeah. sort of inherited the Christian sort of sense where all forgiveness is, is, is all debts are forgiven with like the grace of Jesus. Um, and so that kind of presents a problem where we are right now, where Catholics kind of participate in this um you know this death culture where they want the world to end 
in a way. So for the second coming of Jesus, but yeah. that's their tragedy. The tragedy of the Christian is that they have no tragedy. They will always approach this kind of end, um, but they'll never reach reach it, which is. And it's interesting, even with the second coming of Jesus, if even though that is their end, um, they're terrified of the thought of it, the end, right? Because the only reason they want this end is because it is the start of a new continuation of an eternal life in heaven. So the, the, this end isn't even an end. There's no... every Everything that desires an end desires an end only because it also signals the start of something right even yeah. you could even you could even argue that with a suicidal person they want an end to life so they so it begins the start of not feeling the pain that they're currently feeling you know yeah it's kind of like an obsession with with endings um and you know i say that um people don't really fear death they kind of feel the the permanence of death you know what it means mm. to be permanently dead and you know i think okay an afterlife sort of provides a uh, a buffer buffer against that kind of that kind of thought so what was the tiktok what was the tiktok you saw that made you go right public freakout schizoanalysis you know yeah, I remember seeing this TikTok. Um, I really liked it because it was this middle-aged, I say like this middle-aged Gen Xer. He was just going off on. I think it was like a, I think it was like a subway place, and he was just going off at him. He was screaming, and then he went around the counter, and he gave that guy a hug. He like he hugged him, even though he was like really mad. And I thought, yeah, that's. That's kind of the way you would want, that's kind of the way you want to be when, if you want to be honest, you know, you don't want to hold in your resentment um, and pretend everything is okay. But at the same time, you kind of want to strike a balance. And so I kind of liked how this guy sort of disobeyed the, um, you know, you're not supposed to go around the counter. Yeah, the, un the unwritten rules of, yeah. uh, of social conflict especially now when you have to keep your distance from people oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah right here all the starbucks are closed um except for um, the drivers uh, you know this is tiktok um tiktok are you gonna go to riot <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean it doesn't have to be like in in i've seen like freakouts in roads and stoplights in yeah like doorways <laughs> yeah all your materials going thanks thanks corona bloody hell yeah you got a um, backlog always, you got a backlog yeah you could always uh hold out hope for the toilet paper disputes <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that was crazy we had um i think it was up in tamworth it was like a stabbing over one or something it's fucking crazy yeah, there was one, in one in Parramatta as well yeah it's fucking crazy and um, do you do you plan to like branch out to like um other types of freak out videos? Are you gonna keep it uh, TikTok only for the foreseeable future? Um, as of right now, all my content comes from TikTok because that's where all the new um, all the new videos would kind of show up. 
every day I would get like hundreds, hundreds of new videos. Um, but I don't know, who knows? I might, I might be a, a, I don't know, maybe one day I'll get caught in one of these, uh, one of these freakouts and I'll just whip out my phone and create my own content. I'll be kind of like a prankster. Oh uh, yeah. That'd be interesting. <laughs> I think that'd be really interesting to see. Cause you've, you've got the, you've got the knowledge of the game. You know how it works. You could, you could play it to your advantage essentially. Yeah. Um, have you, have you had a look at, uh, at Frank Hassel? Do you know about that guy? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, um, I've heard the podcast. Yeah, because he's um, yeah, because he sort of uh, creates these artificial freakouts, right? By by prompting yeah. and goading people, and I think that'd be very interesting to have a look at. And you know what's funny? I grew up um, when when uh, PUA was a thing. I'm not sure if you know uh, pickup artistry. Oh, uh, yeah, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would go out um, by myself. And I would sort of do these approaches because back in the day, it was sort of, it was, they put a focus on cold approach pickup. Um, and I would go out to malls, coffee shops, libraries, schools, and sort of do these approaches while still being kind of terrified out of my mind because I didn't know what would happen. And sort of listening to that podcast kind of brought me some old memories when I used to do that. <laughs> Did any of them work? Or you, you, um, can't, or you can't share we, this non-X-rated podcast? Huh? <laughs> Drowning in pussy, I imagine. <laughs> um, well, actually, I the most, the probably the most I've ever had was, let's see, was like getting phone numbers. I hardly ever get past the phone numbers because by that time, uh, Tinder and social media kind of was the the way to go. The replacement. The most. The most ever action I got actually was when I became a, a sugar daddy for a little bit. All um, right. Oh, do tell. Yeah. Do tell. Um, I I read a book called um, Salt Dating or Salt Daddy or something like that, um, and it was of this guy who was completely broke, but he found out a way of get of you know hooking up with these sugar babies without actually paying for them, and that kind of struck with me. Cause, nice. <laughs> yeah, and so I I, uh, I made a profile, and my God, like if you're under the age of forty, you would get hundreds of messages from these beautiful, you know, models who who you would never even meet in in real life, and I kind of developed a theory as to why, um, you know, how you like at least like an incel dude, like I don't know, it's like some girl would like accidentally touch him on the elbow or something. And then he would think, you know, that that girl would like him or something like that. You know, a girl would smile at him. Like the reciprocal, the complete opposite would be a a girl who would think you, you're like a young, rich yuppie or something like that. Yeah. Because, I mean, I didn't even verify because you can verify your income level. And I just put the least, the least because I was, uh, I was broke at the time. And, you know, they would, they wouldn't even second guess. And so they would want to meet up with you and you can find ways to sort of hook up with them without actually paying for them. And that was the sort of fun of it. of become a salt daddy. Yeah. It was like, it was like a, like a challenge. 
exactly. This, 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 is, this is actually really interesting. So tell us some of the ways, some of the ways you'd, you'd figure out yeah. um, how to get with these uh, women without paying. If, <laughs> even though they're coming start, with the... Start taking yeah, notes, guys. Home, yeah, take notes, take, <laughs> take notes. notes. Yeah, yeah. So you have to de-emphasize the, the, the sugar the sugar language, right? So you'd have these words like mutual agreement, sugar daddy, sugar, sugar baby, um, a meet and greet. All these are, are codes that you're following the, the, the normal thing where you would have to pay a sugar baby for you to be in a relationship. So you first have to like de-emphasize it, but there's a very, I, I sort of figure out a way to kind of make this as quick as possible. So what you would do is whenever you would um, sort of make contact with a girl, all you have to do is tell her, hey, um, you know, I, I'm off for one month and one month I'm, I'm, I'm on. And she would say, what do you mean? It's like one month I'm in a relationship and another month I'm, I just want to take a break. Is that okay with you? And she would just say, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> so when you go meet her, and you start talking, right? Uh, you would kind of say, hey, this is my off month. Um, I'm not really looking for a relationship, but I'm looking for somebody, you know, for the next month. And she'll be like, oh, okay. And you kind of make that impression that when the month ends, you kind of start the whole arrangement. But um, in the meantime, things would happen, if you know what I mean. Right. When it comes time, you just, drop a smoke bomb and you do what you got to do. You block her, <laughs> you do something. Um, but, you know, hopefully by that time, the month kind of ends, you kind of already developed an exclusive sort of relationship bond um, with that person. So mm. it would be a regular relationship and not a sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship. Um, so that, that's the challenge of it. And were you very successful with this method or? So the first time um, I hooked up with, with a girl, uh, well, she actually contacted me. Um, and then I kind of arranged, um, you know, I got a hotel room. And by the, and then I, um, by the time she came, um, I, I was skeptical at first. And so when it did kind of happen, I was like freaking out. I was like, holy shit, this thing does work. And I didn't really do anything. Um, and then, but, you know, we kind of did the thing <laughs> and then by the time she was leaving, business. yeah, she looked back and she's like, so, uh, do you have the money? And in my mind, I was like, what money? What are you talking about? And she's like, uh, the money. And I'm like, <laughs> she was, she was a prostitute, but she didn't tell <sighs> me. And so. In my mind, I was like, well, why the fuck didn't you tell me at the beginning? And like, I was worried. I didn't, I didn't know if she had a John or, and all that. So I, I, yeah, I paid her. Um, and yeah, you kind of have to like, sort of, if it's too easy, if it's like, hey, can Too good to be true. It's probably not true. Yeah. You kind of have to, kind of have to like, there has to be at least some resistance otherwise you fall for that kind of thing. Um, but I didn't really care. I just wanted to 
to get Want to smash? You, know? you got to smash. Who, who, who fucking cares, yeah. right? No one's judging you. It's the thrill of the hunt. Yeah. Exactly. And you'll be surprised at how normal these these girls are. Um, you know, she was like, she was actually much more uh, anxious to meet me than I was of her. And it was... Really? Yeah. And it's kind of scary at how how a lot of these girls are coming out of college and they get into this this world um and yeah it's becoming the norm now um mm. yeah so it's it's, a, it's a, yeah me and curtis have spoken about this before it's like the um the infantate the um the infantationalizes um oh, look i'll get this word one sec <laughs> The infant, the infantilizing, the infantilization of women in the current age. It's it's seriously, and it's it's also it's starting to become like um, physical as well, not just like a mental mindset. Like you can have a look at. Um, I think TikTok's a good place to look because you look at these e girls, and a lot of them are emphasizing makeup that makes them. Uh, have like make it them appear with larger eyes. They've got yeah. accessories like band aids on their face. Yeah, like I mean, very childish. And the, and the other one that we were actually discussing when we were discussing this was the um, w like concerns about like um in the workplace like mansplaining or like men making like inappropriate jokes around women. And and what and what I always say about this is that. That while certainly this can get out of hand sometimes, it also misses the point that that is just how guys usually act towards each other a lot of the time. Like guys are very can be very aggressive to each other. Like me and Warg, literally our sense of humor, like at least like a good majority of it, um, revolves around us detailing how we're going to brutally murder each other. Well, I mean, it's it's a bit more one sided than that. It's just me saying, you know. Shut the fuck up, Curtis, or I'll kill you with a hammer. Yeah, and and we enjoy it. It's fucking hilarious to us. <laughs> it's fun. It's, yeah, it's great because it's once again going back to the one of the first things we're about. It's attention release, isn't it? Mm -hmm. mm. By suggesting that um, women like can't or shouldn't put up with this, it's kind of suggesting that. And I'm not saying that this is like the reality, but I'm saying that by putting these things forward, it is suggesting that women are more fragile than men which I think yeah. is infantilizing them, essentially. And uh, one of the things I've learned about uh, when I was part of these men groups is something called negging, in which you would mm. kind of lightly insult uh, insult a girl, but it's, it's a way of showing that you're not preoccupied with being all formal and being all, you know, uh, very serious. You kind of have a playful attitude to yourself. Um, and yeah, you kind of have to like, you know, bring up this tension purposefully. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, you bring up the tension, and then when you then you intentionally release it, and then you can focus on what's at hand. Yeah. All right. Um, so, what what is the future of your work? What things do you have lined up? What do you What do you plan for the, for down the road? I still, I still want to work with, um, with like relationships and and dating. I, I just haven't gotten there yet. In fact, um, well, with, with relationships <laughs> and dating, 
or with with, with those concepts? <laughs> Which one? Um, so well, I mean, it, it that's what we in the business call a neg. Oh, <laughs> the negger becomes the negged. <laughs> Goddess, you can't say that. Oh wait, <laughs> guys, no negging. Don't be a negger. <laughs> exactly. I'm um, not bleeping that out. <laughs> um, but I I seem to have like surrendered a little bit with uh, girls because I don't I don't really do do like um. I don't know. I don't really approach girls anymore, um, or I don't really, um, I don't really kind, of, I don't really want to be in a relationship um, to the point that I actually uh, got a sex doll for myself, um, and Good that man. that was so I I, um, I listened to a character. His name is a turd filling a monkey. I'm not sure if you if you know. Vaguely, um, I read about he, him on your blog. So yeah. He's this kind of alternative, right, uh, reactionary um, character. And his big thing is all about uh, sex dolls. Um, and you wouldn't think that a, a traditionalist conservative right would, you know, talk about sex dolls. But um, he has actually been a, a big advocate of, of uh, sex dolls. And I kind of just wanted to try it out. Um, just to see what it was. And I was very so much surprised at how realistic they're building these things. Um, I mean, they're, they're very like, they, the material is called a TPE, thermoplastic elaster, thermoplastic elaster, or I, I can't pronounce it. Something like that, it's, yeah. It's meant to simulate real skin, right? And Jesus. Um, if you want to look which one I got, you can go to. Um, I oh got yeah, yeah. Give us your recommendations. Yeah. Yes, siliconwives.com, and just type in the word Anna, A N N A, and that's that's the one I got. Um, but but man, if if like I don't know, because he talks about how the these things sort of pay for themselves. Um, and how it's not really that much different than hooking up with like a, a stranger because they, they they just lie on their backs anyways. Yeah, so, no, you know, I hundred percent understand you there. Yeah, yeah and you're gonna like, get the same emotional connection you have with a random stranger anyway. So yeah, and you can even download a chat a chat bot and sort of um, play a kind of relationship with your chat bot. Just pretend that it's sex doll talking. Which I've tried. It's pretty fun to like. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. I just loaded up with Sam Hyde clips. That'd be really funny. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, guys, go to siliconewives.com, enter code JEDCO, no. get ten percent <laughs> off your next ad at all. Oh man, official sponsor. If we if we ever actually get like a sponsor for some wild shit like that, I'm gonna fucking run with it like crazy. <laughs> that'd be great. That that would be really silicon wives. Hit us up. Yeah, we'll do a deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we, let's let's We've make. We've already it got so a glowing review from one of your esteemed customers. Yeah. So come on. Yeah. Hit us up. <laughs> That's great. No, but but seriously, I think all the all power to you. You've you're a modern man. You found a modern solution to a to a problem. And just... I think I think the shaming. A lot of people get shame for this idea of. Um, 
sex dolls because I think I think women are terrified um, that they'll lose um, something that they feel they uniquely have over uh, men. I think they they see it as a challenge. You you see a lot yeah. of people on Twitter getting very very upset about it, saying, you know. Can a sex doll cook your meal? Can a sex doll do this and that? And it's just the question is always, well, well can you? <laughs> I, can, I can cook my own meal. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real good chef. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think we're, I think it's going to be a point, maybe like give it another few decades, you can literally just 3D print your own sex doll, probably. I mean, I imagine the weird. material would be like, like proper, pro- it's not going to be like the fucking plastic stuff you have now. <laughs> If you try to oh. do that now, and you put oh, I've your... I printed my new sex doll, let me get the honeycomb off. <laughs> yeah, if you put your dick in one of those things, it'd be fucking lacerated. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be, it'd be like, probably the equivalent of a, you know, sex transition surgery. It'd be that kind of, you know, mutilation. Right? <laughs> so yeah, we'll see if that happens. Alright. <laughs> I think I think that's probably a good note to wrap things up on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. thanks very much for coming on the cast, man. It's been really, really interesting talking to you. Yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming. It's always a good time chatting with you. Um, would you like to plug your social media and your all your channels and whatnot. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you can find me at uh, in Twitter, contradicted by practice. Um, my handle uh, geolasios. Um, and my website rhizometheory.com where you can find my blogs and there'll be um, links to all of this in the description for those on YouTube yeah. and the podcast app right on that note uh, I'm Curtis Kaiju it's at Curtis underscore Kaiju and, uh, yep I'm Warg that's at Warg W-O-R-A-G on Twitter thank you for listening we'll see you guys in the next episode bye bye see ya thank you bye bye